to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. We have the esteemed Dr. Jason Kinderchuk on the program to answer all of your questions about rising COVID rates, variants, the likelihood of future lockdowns, and whether you should take the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine together. Emily A. Francis is a trained body worker. She once again joins me to offer a refreshing perspective into healing your trauma. And finally, how can sexual flexibility help you put the spice in your sex life? The menu is on the Sunday Night Health Show podcast, which starts now. The nation is grieving tonight with the idea that a man could go on a stabbing rampage in a quiet area of North Vancouver, British Columbia. Our hearts are broken for Lynn Valley, B.C., and our thoughts and prayers go out to the family and friends of the young woman who has died and also to the families and friends of those who have been injured in such a needless act of violence. Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show, a show that's about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse, nurse continence advisor, sexual health educator, and host of this program. I am joined by Andrew, who's behind the boards this evening. Andrew, how are you doing? Good. I had junk food. But it's okay because now I'm drinking green tea, so it balances it out. I didn't have junk food today. Oh, I'm sorry I said, to hear that. I turned my head away. I said no. Oh, man. Now you're missing out. <laughs> Excuse me. But I don't know what that was. <laughs> well, you know. Hey, my junk food, for the record, my junk food had green tea in it. Wow. How cool. What was your junk food? It oh, was like, if you, if you know what dreadful. these are, this might be just like a Toronto, like a major urban center thing. But if you ever go to like an Asian supermarket, you can buy these Korean snack cakes called choco pies. Oh, but yes. But these ones in the, in the, the biscuit mixture, they put matcha green tea in it. And that's to make it healthier. No, not at all. But that's what I say to myself. <laughs> does it, does it taste good? Or can oh, you I taste love it. the green tea? Yeah, it tastes like green tea. It's wonderful. Oh, I don't like green tea. Really? Yeah. yeah and it's also a big bladder irritant for people out there who think that drinking green tea is good for your bladder. They think green tea is great. It has, a, you know, it espouses one all these day. fabulous benefits. One or two a day. Well, people will drink seven or eight yeah, cups of green that's tea. That's silly. Yeah, it's crazy. That's silly. That's like drinking seven or eight cups of coffee minus the caffeine. That's right. Exactly. Actually, with some of the caffeine. That's right. We should discuss bladder irritants sometime. I'm sure we have in the past. We will in the future again because you always have to give that bladder health advice. If you'd like to be part of the show, feel free to give me a call. The number to call is one 9898 That's one 9898 You can text me there as well or feel free to email me in confidence as always at nursetalk at hotmail.com. However, I might just read that email on the air, but I might change a few things so that you are unrecognizable. Although we cover a variety of health subjects, this show is not a replacement for a virtual visit to your doctor or by phone. Tonight on the program, or if you have to go into the office, these days you can actually go into the office, but you'll have to physically distance and wear a mask. Tonight on the program, we're going to continue our conversation about trauma and how to heal yourself. Also, the effect that the pandemic has had on women and mothers in particular. Hypertension, the most important number is your blood pressure. Also going to be talking about cognition and the relationship to sex, of course, because there's always a dose of sex or two here. So put those kidlets to bed, grab a cup of (coughs) tea, chamomile, (laughs) herbal, or glass of wine if you like your lover, if you have one, because we've got lots to talk about. But right now... And now, Maureen's Health Headline. There we go. You've heard his voice before. Fortunately, week pretty much weekly on the Sunday Night Health Show. He is an assistant professor in the Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Manitoba, Canada, and holds a Tier 2 Canada Research Chair in the Molecular Pathogenesis of Emerging and Re-Emerging Viruses. He is currently seconded to collaboratively advance research and development against COVID-19 at VIDO. His research expertise and expert experiences have focused on emerging virus pathogenesis and outbreak preparedness in particular with vulnerable communities. He's an amazing person. He is Dr. Jason Kinderchuk. Thanks so much for joining me on the line, Dr. Kinderchuk, and for all your great work. 
<laughs> Good evening, Maureen, from uh, from actually the lab tonight. Oh, all places. fantastic. Wow. Um, <laughs> if only this were uh, on TV, <laughs> this show, exactly. <laughs> we could get a look in. Um, but it's great. <laughs> I love people who do work with vulnerable communities or, or people in vulnerable communities because I, I think there's so much that we need to do to help others so that we can heal uh, as a a generation, as a world, um, really. Uh, Will we ever heal from this pandemic, though? (laughs) Is it ever going to be over? If it's not one thing, it's another. And currently we have this race of the vaccine against the variants, which are concerning for me. How concerning are they for you, Dr. Kinderchuk? Yeah, it's certainly concerning, right? And I think when we look back on this, you know, really from the start of December, when we started to get some of the information coming in from the UK uh, about their experience with B117, and then, of course, what we saw in South Africa, B1351, and and the Brazil experience with P1, uh, you know, we've been nervous for, for a few months. And I think you know, you kind of heard the voices continually saying, we need to be prepared, we need to be wary, we need to be proactive about the variants. Um, and lo and behold, here we are. And it's, it's concerning. I think that, you know, the, the vaccines have held up very well against the variants. The problem is, is that we can't basically defeat the virus just with vaccination alone. And that's what makes this so difficult is we still need people uh, and, and governments uh, across the country uh, really stepping up and, and making the right decisions. Now, the P1 variant is especially concerning because it contains a mutation that makes it highly contagious and more resistant to the antibodies produced from those vaccines. Is that correct? Yeah, it, you know, it follows along the lines uh, in, in regards to the mutations. What we've seen with uh, with B1351, which was first identified in South Africa, the, the odd thing is, and I kind of mentioned it this weekend, is, you know, what we're seeing in BC is really unique as compared to the rest of Canada. We've certainly seen P1 cases in other regions, but we haven't seen that kind of explosion uh, of cases and, and transmission. So I think the unfortunate reality is we're learning a little bit in real time what this looks like. Certainly the vaccines seem to be holding uh, quite well against that variant, but we have to get it under control first. But it does have the potential to infect people who have been vaccinated and even reinfect people who've had COVID-19, that P1 there, variant. There's the concern, right? And, and certainly we, you know, we've learned a lot, I think, from the, the situation with Brazil where, mm-hmm. you know, they had, you know, up to, you know, 60 percent, uh, you know, uh, zero positivity in their communities. And they were still seeing, you know, rampant infections uh, through the, the start of 2021 and now. Um, so certainly there there is something going on, uh, you know, kind of behind everything with, with this variant. And I think that is our big concern is what what is the potential for reinfection? Absolutely. Uh, if you have a question for Dr. Kendrachuk, the number to call is one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. He's in the lab tonight, so... Uh... <laughs> You'll really want to give him a call. one 877 Now, there's a group out of St. Paul's who does most of the testing here in uh, British Columbia who have discovered that there is a, an exorbitant amount of P1 variant running rampant in British Columbia. And uh, w- there's, a, there's a sense that the provincial health officer has loosened the restrictions, if you will. I mean, you really have to think of the uh, risks versus benefits. I'm talking about the people who have been in long-term care who have been behind a wall or window for a year. Um, if that would not have an impact, a tremendously negative impact on your mental health, I don't know what would. Oh, absolutely. And, and, but, you know, there's also a balance with all this, right? So certainly what we're seeing coming out of Ontario, I think it's a, you know, a really good indication of why people have been concerned. We have good protection in, in the long-term care facilities. We haven't seen outbreaks with B117 so far. But what we're seeing is that increase in, in hospitalizations. And we're seeing it skew towards the younger, uh, you know, younger and younger age groups. And I think that's the concern is that it it goes against a little bit what, you know, maybe we've been conditioned to believe that this was just a severe disease for uh, for elderly groups. And now we're seeing the fact that, yeah, it's not just about fatalities. It's about people ending up in the hospital and, of course, those long-term uh, concerns and complications that we see with COVID. 
Right. We're seeing more people in their 50s in intensive care unit. We're seeing more people in their 30s and 20s getting sick with COVID-19. And it's not necessarily just COVID-19. They have a bit of a cold, as some people say, and get over it in 10 days. But oftentimes people are left with um, long hauler syndrome. So oftentimes they're left with symptoms far beyond um, or, or what, what, after they've been considered recovered, if you will. Yeah, and you know, this is one of these things where I think maybe it's been presented in, in some ways that this is you know, kind of a new phenomenon. And to be fair, I mean, I, you know, listen, I'm an Ebola guy. We, we've seen this in Ebola for, for years now, right, with the, you know, these people that have long-term complications post-recovery. This is one of the unfortunate realities with, with viruses as a whole, and we're still learning what this virus does. And the unfortunate side is that we're seeing that there are complications that seem to you know, really kind of you know, span a, a number of different areas and different organs. That makes it difficult for us to pinpoint exactly what is going on and, and what we are going to see uh, with, with people that, uh, you know, that, that have severe disease or that, you know, that, uh, you know, have these, you know, kind of extended recoveries. That's right. I have Benny on the line from Abbotsford. Good evening, Benny. Yeah, good evening. Uh, it took me five minutes to get an appointment, two and a half days to get vaccinated. I'm 76 years old. I have a few concerns. Uh, what I want to know is... Do I still have it being vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine? Do I still have a chance to get the virus? And what precautions should I take other than wearing a mask, social distancing, and washing my hands? Dr. Kinderchuk? Those are the precautions that that I would advise for. And and really what we're seeing with Pfizer is more and more data suggesting uh, certainly that not only do people have reduced severity of disease, but there also seems to be some links to to potential reductions in transmission. That still needs to be fully vetted. Um, but we're getting better indications of that. And I think that's the important reality is we're going to learn more of that in, you know, in the, in the coming days and in coming weeks. So, you know, s- stick with what you're doing. It's a great vaccine. We've seen good protection across different variants. Uh, you're, you're in a really good position. And there are breakthrough infections, but although that they are very rare. Um, we're going to go to break, and then when we come back, we're going to take a couple of callers. Dr. Kinderchuk, we've got the, uh, the, the phone boards are lighting up. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk, assistant professor in the Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Manitoba, is my guest. Thanks for staying on the line, Dr. Kinderchuk. He joins me from the lab. Um, joining me on the line here now is Armando from Langley. Hello, Armando. Hey, Maureen, how are you? Nice to hear your voice again. Oh, thanks for calling again. You yeah. have a question? Okay. So I, I want to ask the doctor if it's, uh, if it's okay to take, like, to different kinds of vaccine, like you have to take two shots, right? Yeah. So is it okay, like for example, you take the Astra for the first shot and maybe take the Pfizer for the second shot? Is it possible and safe? So that's what I want to ask. Thank you. Dr. Kinderchuk? Yeah, they're certainly doing clinical trials on that right now. So, you know, they're looking at this idea of mixing and matching uh, vaccines. It probably for you know, most, um, I would say probably, you know, economically, um, you know, high uh, nations, it's not going to be, it's really probably not going to be something we're going to see. It's going to be more, I think, for low and middle income regions of whether or not uh, they can move to uh, to kind of a non-standard vaccine uh, schedule like that. Great question, though. And we have Elizabeth on the line yeah. from Surrey, British Columbia. Hello. Hello. Um, I would like to ask the doctor, please, if anything is being done in Canada about using the monoclonal antibodies, what was used for President Trump, and we all thought it was just for rich people and his friends, but apparently it is free uh, in the United States, all over the United States. The doctors are just um, not necessarily quite aware of it yet, Uh, so President Biden is making people more aware and Fauci as well. So do we have that here? Because apparently it lessens the effect of the disease exponentially. Fortunately, Dr. Kinderchuk, you're in the lab tonight and monoclonal antibodies are laboratory-made <laughs> proteins. Do you have any there? They mimic the immune system's ability to fight yeah. off harmful pathogens such as viruses. Could you send some out to Elizabeth, please? No. <laughs> it's- 
It's a great question, right? Yeah. And, and certainly with monoclonals, uh, you know, it is something that, uh, that there's been a lot of work put into. We've certainly seen a, a few that have been licensed now um, in the U.S. through FDA. I don't know if Health Canada has licensed any as far as therapeutics yet. Um, certainly it would be something that, uh, that, that they are pursuing, but, but uh, obviously Health Canada functions separately from FDA. So I think that, there, again, there's something that, uh, that people are focusing on and furthering the development of, um, but we just haven't seen them kind of been used regularly yet. Uh, in, in different hospitals. Thank you very much. If you have a question for Dr. Kinderchuk, the number to call is one 399 9898 That's 1-877-399-9898 for those burning questions. Evelyn from Winnipeg is on the line. Hello, Evelyn. Hi, it's been a while. Um, I have a big I have a big question. Um, I overcame my fear to go to the hospital when I wasn't feeling well. I was in emergency for three days. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm actually asking a question with regards to, do I still have to monitor for COVID symptoms after I've left? Yes. The, the easy answer is it, it is absolutely, especially with uh, obviously what we're seeing in, with, in regards to transmission uh, in Winnipeg right now and things picking up. You want to make sure that you know, you're monitoring for any changes at all in your general health or, or kind of well-being, um, just as, as regular indicators and, and just be you know, extra cautious as far as wearing masks and, and those types of things. Thank you so much for that question, Evelyn. Uh, Dr. Kinderchuk, do we all need to be doing that on the daily? One hundred percent, right? Listen, I I just spent you know the the, the better part of, of the last week um, at home because I had a you know a really bad respiratory infection, was negative for COVID twice, mm-hmm. um, but had but had kind of noticed that you know it just felt a little bit off at the start. Yeah, um, and that's something that we really have to be conscious of is. Is is it a tickle in the back of the throat? Maybe it's allergies, yeah, but let's be cautious and, and ensure that it's not COVID at this Absolutely. time. Absolutely. I have Alan from Vancouver, British Columbia, on the line. Hello, Alan. Oh, hi. Good evening. I have a question. You know, given the uh, all the um, the variants and the rush to vaccinate, you know, I understand we're trying to vaccinate as many people so that in case a variant does mutate, it doesn't become something that's resistant to the vaccines. And with the third, fourth, and probably fifth wave, do you see this pandemic lasting another five years? Yeah, it's a great question, right? So what, what I think we're realistically looking at is probably a virus that's going to become uh, probably something that circulates regularly through our population. But the really kind of the crux of it is, is that if we get people vaccinated, the severity of disease drops. So it, it at some point will stop being a, a full-fledged pandemic when we start seeing that, uh, that we're not seeing widespread transmission in, in different regions of the world. Um, but it's going to take us a while to get there. And, and I think that's why we're looking at this as being something that could be you know, more of a, a regular virus as opposed to something we fully eliminate. And Dr. Kinchuk, thank you for that answer. I've, I've got to get this text in for you. Non-COVID question for the good doctor. What kind of music do you listen to? <laughs> <laughs> what day of the week is it? It depends. So everything, listen, honestly, everything from Tool to Springsteen to Leonard Cohen to Gordon Lightfoot. Um, you know, I, I had very, uh, I had young parents and dynamic parents. So, fabulous taste, yeah, it, fabulous taste. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Kinderchuk. We'll talk next week. Okay. Thanks, Maureen. Take care. You too. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about healing your trauma. I'm Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I was so delighted with uh, in speaking to this guest last week that I invited her back this week. This week, and I had so many emails and text messages from all of you. Um, so I just had no other choice. Uh, so if you have a question. <laughs> For me or my guest, who I shall tell you who it is very shortly, the number to call is one 9898 That's one 9898 A trained body worker, she offers a refreshing perspective into healing trauma. She reveals unique knowledge of the body as a holder for memory. She will lead you on a path deep within yourself to rearrange the ways that pain and trauma have been holding you back from whole body, mind, spirit, and energy healing. She is Emily A. Francis, and she joins me on the line from Malta. Good morning to you over there in Malta, Emily. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's a pleasure. I, it was, there were, I had so many messages, uh, so many people you know, wanting your contact information, so I'd like to start out with that. If people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way? 
my website is healingourselveswhole.com. Perfect. Healingourselveswhole.com. Okay, so if you have any issues out there that you would like to address or you know somebody um, who has experienced trauma, and, and we've been experiencing trauma of a different type this entire past year, but, but also, Emily, uh, recently here in Canada, uh, just yesterday, um, a man went on a stabbing spree in a small town in British Columbia, and one woman uh, died. Many people witnessed this, and, and six others were hospitalized, uh, were injured and, and sent to hospital and we don't know the condition of those people. But this has affected this entire community, the people who witnessed it, the people who were at the library where it had occurred. Um, One woman tweeted that she was there yesterday and a part of her will always be there. Uh, This is a a community type of trauma where we come together, something we've all experienced, even if we've seen it on the news. What does that kind of event do to people, do to their uh, their spirit, their energy, their body? How can it, um, how does it affect them? Well, you know, I actually had seen that on the news. I didn't realize it occurred in the library. Just Um, in front of the library. yeah. Okay. Some people call that a complex trauma because it's a, it involves a lot of people. That person that tweeted that a part of her will always be there was an absolute fact. And that's because when you experience something like that or you, you saw it yourself, those trauma pieces freeze in time in your brain track. And so it really is that part of her now has stayed in that location. So she really, she and everybody else that is part of this, really needs to look at two different angles. One is the, the, the cognitive therapy. So there's one called EMDR, which is an eye movement desensitization reprocessing to help unfreeze the track. But also when you experience something like that, it comes in, it seeps in through all of your senses, the sight, sound, taste, touch, feel, uh, all that, but it goes into the body. And now it, you, you can actually connect. Some people start having chronic pain or some other body issue, and they may not make the connection that the insert of that pain originally was something traumatic that they experienced or witnessed. So is this something that anyone who has witnessed this um, or anyone who was at the scene, um, would you recommend that they seek uh, some type of therapy fairly immediately, or are there going to be people who think they're just going to repress this? And and how dangerous is it to repress it? Your answer was yes, that people should seek therapy for this. Yes, they should seek therapy as soon as possible, especially if they were actually there. You also have a lot of people that are empaths that are highly sensitive, that even if they weren't there, they put themselves into that situation as if they were. And so that's why a lot of people have actually stopped watching the news, because it's killing them. Because you watch all of these horrific events unfold, and you're seeing... You're seeing some of the best side out there, but a lot of the worst side in the human condition happening around us. And so um, in a way, uh, you, even if you weren't there, when you start to listen to it, our minds are so susceptible that our bodies can still take in some of that trauma. So, you, so even if you don't go get help, per se, uh, you still want to learn, and I, I teach this through my book, but you still want to learn how to talk to your own body so that if something does start to settle in to the soft tissues of your body before it becomes an actual pain or chronic or some sort of bigger issue, you want to be able to catch it. You know, some people might have immediate bowel disturbances. That's a body, that's a body language, you know, especially if it wasn't beforehand. And in your books, you talk about how your body is speaking to you and it's time to learn that language to answer uh, the questions that your body has for you. If you have a question for my guest, Emily A. Francis, the uh, body healer, uh, the number to call is one 877 That's 1-877-399-9898. It's interesting that you mentioned about the news because um, my sister stopped watching, one of my sisters stopped watching the news a few, several months ago. And, and a friend of mine today just mentioned, she said she couldn't watch the news anymore. She just couldn't take it anymore. And, and it is so, it is depressing if you, you know, look at it from, I mean, that seems to be what the news has turned into today. If it's not fighting, it's, it's, um, sensationalism. Um, and it's, you know, showing us gruesome and graphic, uh, pictures. Um, how much does that affect people's lives? It affects us. It affects us bigger than we realize. You know, the news tends to do about 10 horrible things and then they try to do one uplifting to kind of, 
you know, take your mind off of it. I would highly suggest, because you still want to know what's going on in the world, but I would try to balance it out. Um, And so, like, for me, one of my favorite sites is the Dodo. I go there just to look at some of these animal stories because I'm such an animal advocate, and I love to see these happy stories that I need in my life. So if you do watch something that that makes you feel uh, uh, slightly traumatized, uh, go and do, like balance it. So go and go to the site that has good stories, feel good things. You know, you can turn off the TV and go to the internet. You can find a feel good story anywhere if you look hard enough. But the news only gives you just a little bit. So you want to, <clears throat> I mean, again, you don't want to be out of the loop of what's going on. But sometimes it's really gut wrenching to see how many people have become incredibly racist, and maybe they always were, but now it's becoming like. <laughs> Oh, for some reason, people feel comfortable in it um, or incredibly abusive, volatile. You know, these things are happening. They're happening on every corner of the world. There's always going to be violence. You can find it. But you also want to find something to counter that for yourself so that it doesn't just seep into your body and stay there because it really can become where we where we're terrified to go anywhere because this is what we think the world is and you know so many people in the world uh, need healing and my guest emily a francis is the author of healing ourselves whole an interactive guide to release pain and trauma by utilizing the wisdom of the body most often when we think of trauma we think of childhood trauma neglect abuse sexual assault um, crimes upon children basically. Um, how does that remain in uh, a person throughout their life and, and how can they heal from that? Well, and, and we go through, so I have a, what I call the somatic emotion chart and it is the heavy four emotions, a processing bridge, and then the fabulous four emotions. Everything that's ever happened to us of significance, happy, joyful, horrifying, uh, they they seep in, like I said, through the senses, and then they dig and bury into the soft tissue, so into the muscle beds, the muscle memory, into the cellular memory, into the fascia. The fascia is something that you don't really learn about unless you're doing healthcare study. The fascia is like your body's pantyhose. It covers every organ, every muscle, every soft tissue, every connective area in the body. Fascia is there, and the fascia is like like uh, highway systems of memory and of communicating through the body. And then I believe that the muscles store deeply. So anything that's happened as a child, as an adult, you may or may not remember the whole situation, but your body does because, again, when you have a trauma, it freezes in time. So you have these specific time tracks within your body that me who puts my hands on the actual body can help you identify and then work with because even if we can't, fully remove a trauma. I mean, you can't undo something that has happened, but you can find a way that, to me, they feel like carrots in the soft tissues. A cognitive therapist calls it a trauma capsule. It's something too overwhelming to handle, so we package it up in the mind and then drop it into the body and walk away. And then people wonder why they have chronic pain or chronic um, inflammation and also chronic bowel disturbances. You know, somebody that has irritable bowel syndrome, there is no way that you have it without an emotional component to it. No way. They're all connected. So our job, and it's imperative at this point in our life now, is to be able to trace where the insert was of the original issue that your body has been signaling that you didn't hear because I say the body signals and it comes as a whisper and we don't listen and then it comes as a knock but if we don't understand it then it comes as a destruction so we have to and and a diagnosis by the time you get to a diagnosis you can't ignore the emotional part of whatever it is that's going on my guest is Emily A. Francis, the author of Healing Ourselves Whole, an interactive guide to release pain and trauma by utilizing the wisdom of the body. Thanks for staying on the line, Emily. I'm so happy to be here. Thank oh, you. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, if you have a question, the number to call is one 877 That's one 877 You can text there as well. It is a free call across Canada. Many, many people suffer with trauma. Uh, I, I just saw that the uh, cargo container in the Suez Canal, the Ever Given, ha- is afloat. And so I'm wondering if that is a good metaphor for people who have trauma and have been able to release their trauma and and go on to a healing journey. Uh, would you say that it's almost like um, freeing a, a stuck? 
cargo ship? Yes, I would. I would. And it's amazing because, you know, people find this too many times when we finally accept and go into our bodies and work with our bodies and then we feel better. We think it's a coincidence because when you work in the subtle body or the energy body, we don't understand the value that it really gives. But I believe that the subtle body or the energy piece or layer of the body is where the magic keys live for healing. So, yes, it is like setting a cargo afloat. All of a sudden, some of the chronic pain or some of the deep pains, even if it's not chronic, uh, let up. And then we think, oh, you know, that must have just been a fluke. I feel good now. You know, there's no there's no connection there. <laughs> you know, and it's Right. Like, there's a huge connection there. How did you miss this? Absolutely. I had healing touch after a surgery one time, and it was extremely beneficial. You know, it was it was magical. It was miraculous, I have to say. Um, better than the morphine, which I like that too. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, the connection between the mind and the body. But I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about some specific things that people have emailed me about in, in the past. Um, physical abuse as a child, neglect, poverty, um, being raised by alcoholic or substance um, is parents who use substances. Um, how traumatic is that for children and especially as they grow? Insane, like insanely traumatic. It's incredibly traumatic. Even if you do all the right therapies and all the right work uh, to, to come forward and to become your own person and to separate your identity of that, if you haven't done the work through the body as well, then there's still some some strangulation happening in the flow of your body, even in the blood flow. Chinese medicine believes that the blood is what carries memory through the body. And I'm saying fascia, it's both. Um, but but every flow can be still restricted. So we can move forward and think, I've done so much work around this and I don't identify myself anymore as this child. But your body it, it, it requires different healing. And when you go to your therapist, they're working with the mind. And the mind is about your thoughts and behaviors. But the body is the one that's storing the memories as fact. They occurred as it actually happened. Whereas the mind, you can change the way that we perceive it. But if the body hasn't released that frozen time track, then your body's still still holding. So when I say the carrots going in, imagine that you now have a restricted flow around a particular area. So um, sexual assault generally tends to lend itself to issues in the reproductive organs. Mm-hmm. You might have trouble getting pregnant and you might not see that there's a connection. You might have God forbid that it's gone so long that it becomes a cancer. Um, there's a lot to deal with in those areas. You might have urine. Do you remember the work of Louise Hay? And she would talk about that urinary problem stem from truly being pissed. You're yes. actually pissed. Yes. Uh, and, it, and it can, you know, <laughs> signal to like a kidney issue, adrenal glands, you know, the whole area. Right. You know, it goes up from the ureter up into the bladder and then past it into the kidneys. You know, there's a line of, of in you know inception and then and then all the way through if you if you keep not listening so exactly what i have we also cri- have to do is oh uh, sorry i just have uh, a uh, i have a caller on the sure. line um chris from okay. penticton british columbia hi chris hey how you doing first time caller Fair. i've been listening to you for quite some time thank you um you're the I, best um, send him a check okay andrew <laughs> go ahead <laughs> but uh no um i i love your guest um right now i'm uh, actually Oh, geez, I'm probably into my, let me see, it's 2006. Yeah, into my almost fifth year of uh, counseling. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm a survivor from a very uh, abusive uh, alcoholic father and mom, as well as I'm a survivor of a, uh, oh, my heavens, uh, one hell of a pedophile. Uh, he's in prison now, oh, thank God. heavens. Oh, God. Um, and then, of course, uh, <laughs> uh, other stuff that took place after the fact. What's really, uh, really interesting uh, when I look back now, uh, thank heavens for counseling. I, I can't recommend that enough. Find someone to talk to mm-hmm. because uh, it, it can kill you. And uh, I mean, I've had some major surgeries. I, I've lost part of my intestinal tract, uh, mm-hmm. other stuff, and mm-hmm. I'm sure all related to all of oh. this stuff that was, you know, captured that I couldn't release. And uh, actually what happened uh, was 
uh, at my aunt's in Oliver and uh, climbed up this uh, nice mountain by the sill tower and they have a helicopter pad and extremely happy, you know, August the 26th, 2016. I got back home or back to my aunt's place and, of course, turn on NW because, you know, I like to keep on top of things. And uh, then it, it uh, flashed to a picture and this picture was the guy who had molested me. Well, oh. more than that, more than that. Um, and I completely broke. Um, if it hadn't been mm. for the uh, police officer, sergeant on Vancouver Island in Victoria, um, I probably wouldn't be here today because I, I we called it all on the Wednesday. And then on uh, the uh, Friday, uh, I decided I had enough of life. Mm. But I'm here. <laughs> I'm getting you stronger. Are. Fantastic. And, yeah, and I tell you, EMDR is something else. Um, yes, uh, it's opened up not only the the hellish aspects of things, but it's amazing how much good stuff gets buried with that stuff, and you have no idea until you're going through the process. That, holy smokes! You know, it was <laughs> terrible, but there are some really beautiful glimpses and through that process you know you get that uh, acceleration and like i just you know i am moving forward and uh i just wish because there's so many people out there uh, that that, uh, don't know how to speak up or don't even know they have a situation Mm -hmm. um but uh, man oh man uh just you know find the people uh that uh, that can help you chris thank you You so much go ahead Uh, i have to tell you it is so evident that you have had an incredible therapist working with you because most people would never admit what you have just admitted out loud. And I'm sure that you struggled with that for many, many years before you came forward and said, I need help to save my own life. And I'm going to, I, I'm going to give you huge props because you deserve to be healthy, happy, and free. And it seems like sounds like you are still processing freeing your body from those claims and you're doing a great great job with it so big kudos to your therapist good bigger kudos to you because it takes incredible inner strength to believe in yourself enough to go get help to know that you're worth it and i'm going to repeat repeat a quote that i think i did last week because to me it's still the best quote on the planet about this It's by Cynthia Ocelli, O-C-C-E-L-L-I. For a seed to achieve its greatest expression, it must come completely undone. The shell cracks, its insides come out, and everything changes. To someone who doesn't understand growth, it would look like complete destruction. You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. I am a registered nurse, as you probably know by now. We mentioned it a few times on the show tonight, not to mention over the past nearly nine years. Andrew, did you know that it's almost nine years that I've been doing this show coming up early May? Nine years ago, I was an infant. (laughs) I mean, that's a lie. I was a teenager. There you go. We're all lying here. When's when's the anniversary? (laughs) I think it's May 1st or something. I'm not exactly sure, but do you, do you know the story of how I got the show? Mm, no. <laughs> do you want to hear it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually had had an experience of workplace bullying, very common, and I am like a magnet for workplace bullies. They see me a mile away, okay? So I'd had that experience. I left, and uh, I left the position. I sued the guy. That's another story. <laughs> anyway, and um, uh, so then I, I had been doing regular contributing to the radio show and uh, or to the radio um, studio, whatever. What are we calling this? Radio? <laughs> I've been a regular contributor, health contributor. Um, and so I decided, you know, I'd like my own show. And I thought, well, if I actually get my own show, I'll make this promise that I will always 
uh, elevate the subject of, you know, male violence against women and violence against people in general and, and uh, keep that as a topical subject, which I've done throughout the years. So it took me two months. This might surprise you that it took me two months to get up the courage to actually go to the heads of the station at the time. And uh, I prepared my little speech, my little sales pitch. And um, so I went to them. They, they said they would give me 15 minutes on a Friday afternoon at about 3.15. I said, okay, that's all I need. So I went in and I said, I think it's time for my own show. And they said, we couldn't agree with you more. Can you start Sunday night? And I said, wait a minute. I have worked on this pitch for two months, getting up the courage to do this. So if you out there have a great idea and you want to do something, have much more courage than I had. Um, but that that is true. And then I just went on the air that Sunday night and didn't have a clue what I was doing. And um, the tech producer at the time uh, said to me after the show, not bad for someone who never went to broadcasting school. And I said, broadcasting school? What? I've never even heard of that. <laughs> what is that? Anyway, here I am nine years later. My, my lucky number is nine years. I hope that's a good thing. Anyway. I hope so. Yeah. So here we I are. mean, I haven't, I haven't done or said anything in the past two hours that can possibly get us fired, I don't think. Well, I don't think, you know, it looms over my head no matter what I do, no matter every, what job. I every have. time I turn on this mic, I think to myself, oh, boy, am I going to say something that finally gets me the call? <laughs> hasn't I, happened yet. I'm scared to death anyway. <laughs> no, it hasn't. But uh, but we've covered a lot of subjects over uh, the years. And, uh, Andrew, you just mentioned how um, what you loved about the men who are calling in and sharing their stories. Do you want to? Yeah, no. So it, it it's been nice hearing from, you know, the typically completely closed off older male crowd uh, about mental illness, about struggle, about everything. Right. Because usually when these kinds of things are talked about, it's generally, uh, you know, from the women, from younger folks, mm-hmm. uh, from people who probably actually had a decent talk about this in school. Uh, right. And, you know, you look back to, you know, my parents' generation and this kind of talk about mental uh, mental well-being and everything was completely absent mm-hmm. from from education, essentially. Absolutely. And guys and guys especially were essentially just told, you know, just suck it up. It's fine. Right. You man up. Well, yeah. exactly. Man don't up. share your emotions. Exactly. Yeah. Don't that show makes your you weakness. A, a weak sissy man. Right. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing. Yeah. But it, it's been it's been such a breath of fresh air to hear men be like, no, actually, I did have horrible things happen to me, and I am processing them still. Right. Because it, it's not like they're alone, right? They're, you know, we're made to think we are. We sure right? are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, society has for a long time made men to think they are alone, uh, and that any struggle you feel isn't, you know, worthy of consideration because you just got to suck it up. Um, but no, like, trauma can happen to anyone, Right. <laughs> Totally. That, you know, that's the bottom line. You know, trauma has no borders. You know, uh, mental illness doesn't discriminate. Um, it, it affects, you know, everyone equally. Right. And we all have, you know, I think I like to think that everyone has at least something uh, oh, that's happened in the past. Of course. That that keeps you up at night sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just pleasant to hear men, you know, be honest about it and talk about it because it's hard to do. That's right. And, it, and share their stories, which is what I was my goal early on. I just had this sense that people wanted to learn about health and wanted to share their own stories that they didn't want to feel alone. Well, exactly. And, and like the past, you know, with 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 uh, with Emily coming on and the calls coming in from uh, from that, like, don't wait for Emily to be on the air to share that stuff. Right. Well, um, you know, if you're feeling like you want to share, it's not selfish of you, right? It's actually very gracious. And, you know, when we share our stories, we empower others. You know, there's been many times in my life where, I mean, I share everything. I wear my heart on my sleeve and people will say, you know, that happened to you or you went through that. You know, I, I thought I was the only one. And so, so often do we, um, feel like we're alone on the island. Like I thought I was the only one who'd experienced workplace bullying, um, but I'm not, you know, there are so many people that experience that in the workplace and it's, it's so detrimental to your mental health and physical health as well. And in fact, I was, um, working with a guy and he was saying, I knew it was workplace bullying, but he didn't, he was experiencing it as well. 
and and he said, um, I'm feeling unwell. I'm feeling, you know, I've got headaches and I'm not sleeping and I just don't feel like myself. And I said, that's, you know, those are some of the symptoms of what's happening to you. Like as, as corny and like um, fake medicine-y sounding as it is, um, mental distress does manifest as physical symptoms. For sure. Like it's not like some kind of thing that people make up to sell, you know, antidepressants or anti-pain pills. Like it's a real thing. It, it is a real right? thing. Um, and that's another thing that guys are kind of told like, you know, if you all you need to do then is just work out more. Right. Exactly, which can be beneficial. Well, I will say that. Please but, do you know, <laughs> exercise regularly. Bye. It is great. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, like, people often so quickly, and doctors are guilty of this, you know, they go straight to the prescription pad. They go to the pill. They want the quick fix. I mean, I have pe- people coming into my clinical practice saying, you know, tell the doctor I need surgery. You know, and so it's like, I can't tell the doctor you need surgery. Surgery is not going to help you or, or to have them write this particular prescription. You know, there are so many other things that we need to do along this journey we call life that, you know, helps us to heal our pain and process what we've gone through. I mean, that, that two months prep that it took me to get the courage back to ask these guys for a radio show was direct result of the experience that I'd had. I'd lost my courage. You know, I'd lost my mojo (laughs) at the time. It was just, you know, just like verbally abused out of me. And, you know, it was, it was horrific. It was a horrific experience. And it, it, I, I touched on this during the break and I kind of used it as a throwaway line, but the more I think about it, the more that, you know, this actually is true, but like having all of like these guys come forward and talk about these very real things that have very real effects on people. Uh And I kind of offhandedly just went, this is why we need feminism. But like, no, this is actually why we need feminism. Uh Because in order to, you know, to really, to borrow the term, to dismantle kind of the societal structures that set us up uh, to have to think that we need to um, lock everything away and force everything down and just tough it out and be a man about it. Um, dismantling that and you know being truer to who we are is part of is you know part of equality it's part of feminism it is yeah you make a great point there you know and i i get lots of um another shame another stigma another um you know secret is this the sexless marriage and i get so many emails about that from mostly men I mean, it can happen to women. It's almost even more damaging. Um, but oftentimes, more often than not, there's a medical condition that underlies that sexless marriage. There can be um, sexual pain from vaginal dryness and lead to low desire. And, and people just are not aware because doctors don't go to... In medical school, doctors don't get enough education about women's intimate health. And it's so important. And of course, when people get married, they're thinking about the dress and they're thinking about the bridesmaids, but they're not actually thinking about the sex and they're not actually thinking about 10, 15, 20, 30 years of sex with the same person, hopefully. Because <laughs> that doesn't you're happen both either. Okay with, unless you're both okay uh, seeing other people. Exactly. Or unless you're both okay not having sex either, you know, because there are agreements that can be made. Um, but there's, uh, it's so, <laughs> um, there's just so many different subjects um, that, you know, we've covered over the nine years. And, and you've been there for a lot of it with me, Andrew. I've appreciated the ride, if you will. Um, it has been a ride. It has been a ride. You know, my, my technological ability can improve. We know that. But that's what you're here for. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Well, for the love of Pete, we've got Frank on the line from Newmarket, Ontario, wanting to share his story, I presume. Good evening, Frank. Hello, Frank. Did we lose Frank? That's Okay. <laughs> Frank got cold feet. Not the first Frank to get cold feet. <laughs> anyway, um, I had a plan anyway to talk to you about um, something else that, that is stigmatized. It's a time of life for women um, that should be the most joyous time of life, that they should be delighted at the new life. But uh It should be the happiest place um, on earth and people should feel extremely happy when they give birth, but not every mother feels that way. 
And there's a new study that shows that OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder among new mothers is more prevalent than previously thought. Now, obsessive compulsive disorder, if you've ever um, thought of it, you probably think about excessive hand washing. That's one of the most common uh, symptoms um, or that well-known symptoms. But um, obsessive compulsive disorder can also be intrusive thoughts. So it's thought that um, women who have delivered or recently given birth, that OCD is more common. And this is what the results of a University of British Columbia study revealed. Um, And the reason that they found that out was because they asked the right questions. Um, And so if you don't ask the right questions... Um, you are not going to get the answers. And the specific question that they asked was that um, they asked about infant-related harm. And so that's an intrusive thought, and many women um, may not report that um, because they would have a fear that something would happen to them or their babies if they did report it. But it's very important that this OCD be diagnosed after the birth of a baby. Apparently, we've got Frank back on the line again from Newmarket, Ontario. Hello, Frank. Hey, how are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Great. Okay, what I would like to uh, do is tell briefly a story. I'm an insulin-dependent diabetic, Mm -hmm. and um, I wouldn't be this way if I listened to what the doctors said. And diabetes, there's a lot of borderline diabetics out there, men and women, that think that this is a joke. And believe me... um, the fast food, the sugar intake, the lack of exercise. I'm a 60-year-old Irish male, and I uh, went completely blind in 10 days. Oh. I uh, had 20-20 vision. I noticed some irregularity in uh, brightness when I went out to go to work. I have my own company, men working for me, and uh, I thought, wow, that's kind of weird. Uh, it persisted. I went to the optometrist. They took my license right on the spot. I just bought a brand new truck. I lost uh, the truck, lost my license, had to give it back. And uh, I said to the optometrist, well, how how am I going to get home? He said, well, you're not going home. You're going to St. Mike's. Wow. So I've had uh, five vitrectomies. Sounds like vasectomy. That's called a vitrectomy. <laughs> I can only have one it, of those. <laughs> yeah. Thank God it's not the other one. <laughs> and, um, yeah, uh, the Scarborough Eye Institute, Dr. Jordan Cheskis, saved uh, about 25% of my vision. Mm. And uh, I went through, I, I'm not going to say hell on earth, but when you lose your sight, Everything that happens regarding that, uh, driving, snowmobiles, bikes, uh-huh. any toys, forget it, um, any kind of uh, your mobility all of a sudden is, you know, in question. And uh, it's it's really, really, like I'm over it now uh-huh. and I've adjusted to it. Uh-huh. And uh, there has been some you know, silver lining areas regarding uh, I'm a musician part-time and I'm actually a professional drummer, but there's no work out there right now. But the one sense picked up for the other and uh, I've been nailing the Rush, Neil Peart stuff and uh, life has moved onward with great sugar, uh, dietitian, everything, and thank God to the nurses and the Ontario Disability Support Program, which came to my aid when I was right. Uh, it was tough, man. Uh, I can imagine. I lost my business. I lost, uh, uh. yeah, but I'm Irish, so you know what that means, right? We're tough. You lose one arm, hey, you still got one. <laughs> Exactly. Don't complain about it. Count your blessings. I I was raised that way. And I'm a big guy. I'm, you know, a hockey player, a redneck Canadian type person, uh, ice fishing, 
all the muscle cars that you can imagine, uh, <laughs> rock and roll, you know, that type of person. And um, I just want to warn all you men out there and ladies, if you're fooling around with high sugar, my sugar was 39 wow. when I went. Yeah. And they're stable now, your sugars? Oh, unbelievable. They're five and sixes. And I can also tie in mental illness. Uncontrolled diabetes oh, wow. can lead to insanity. Wow. You got these men don't realize it. Their tempers are going, they're screaming, they're freaking out. And meanwhile, their biological uh, is just out of whack. Your sugar's out of whack, which makes yeah. you pancreas. And I mean, it, everything is tied into it. Wow, Frank, we're up against the clock right now, but I'd love to talk to you more. Thank you so much for calling in and stay well. It's time for the Bedroom Bulletin. Welcome back to the final stroke of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath here hosting this program for you. I have so much to say about this next segment. We only have about nine minutes. Uh, sometimes we, we can just, go a little over nine. Can we? Yeah, we can go a little over nine. Because <laughs> the, the only, next, the only time that matters is the is the top of the hour. You're you can. This fine. is true. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't really have so, so much to say in the next um, segment. So we'll we'll focus a little bit more here. Um, of course, this is about sex. This segment and uh, Canadians are not having. A lot of sex during this pandemic, which is most unfortunate. Many people blame it on uh, mental health issues. Um, they're too much time together for couples or, or too much time alone for singles. Um, sex could have become just so boring with that same person. <laughs> During the pandemic, I mean, your sexual flexibility might not be as great as it is if we weren't, as it would be if we weren't in a pandemic. So um, we, it's a, it's a very unfortunate twist uh, because we need this type of feel-good activity when stress is at an all-time high, like it is right now. Even though there seemingly be seem to be a lot of jobs, you might have to pivot in your career. Um, and there's also the housing prices are through the roof, no matter where you where you go. So anyhow, somebody's doing something right. Um, but a way to help that might be through improving your sexual flexibility. And um, so I got your attention now, right? <laughs> so this is exactly what you need to spice up your, shall we say, bland sex lives. Um, and sexual flexibility, it's, um, it's like a sexual menu. So when you have a sexual interaction with somebody, you have this menu of options that you can select from. So typically, you know, whatever you mission position always, or, um, you know, she comes first, whatever. Um, some people will have a bigger menu. Um, they may engage in, in BDSM. They may be uh, more sexually expressive. They may have thought of more things to do. Um, and so with your partner, you need to figure out the pieces of that menu that you might want. So what would you order on the menu? You might have certain menu items that are your go-to favorites and some that you're willing to try or some you're not really sure about, some you're willing to try in certain times, uh, some you're not. Um, you know, so we can have these, sometimes the uh, items are not available on the menu. We can have detours in, in sexual scripts. Um, and, and that means you have desire discrepancy, for example, because you may have uh, vaginal pain. I do want to read an email about um, low sexual desire that I think is related to vaginal pain or vaginal dryness. You may have performance anxiety or arousal difficulties, or you might not be feeling that great. You might have COVID, for example, um, and or you might be going through uh, menopause. And so how easily you can change your script or your approach or modify the strategies for sex or think of different options is what we call your sexual flexibility. So this can help improve things um, in the bedroom for you. And it is important that you improve things in the bedroom because it looks like there's some evidence in animals anyway, and people, the studies have been done in both, that frequent sex might have cognitive benefits at the, at the time. It will not prevent cognitive decline, but at the time, uh, you will have better recall. So there is a growing body of research on humans that we have, that has come out in the last decade 
decade. There was a study in 2010 that was published in the journal PLOS One and discovered a link between sexual activity and neuron growth in male rats. Women, female rats already had tons of neuron growth, so they didn't need any more. Um, and, and this specifically was rats that were permitted to have sex daily over a two-week period demonstrated more neuron growth than rats that were only allowed to have sex once during that two-week period. There was also a 2016 study published in Age and Aging and looked at how the sexual practices of nearly 7,000 adults between the ages of 50 and 89, yes, people over the age of 35 have sex, related to their performance on a number sequencing task, which actually measured executive functions like problem solving. Uh, You know how guys are problem solvers? This just dawned on me. I'm like, you know, I mean... My brother said to me today, I'm a pro-, he always says to me, I'm a problem solver. I'm like, I don't want you to solve my problem. <laughs> I just want to tell you about it. Um, men are problem solvers. <laughs> um, could that mean they're having a lot of sex? I don't know. Um, but it also was a word recall task, which measures memory ability, which is important for people as they age. So both men and women, according to the study, who had engaged in any kind of sex over the past year had higher scores on the word recall test. Any kind of sex. So it doesn't necessarily mean, but you know, if if something is good, you know, a little bit of something is good, then a lot of it might be that much better. Um, Furthermore, for men only, being sexually active was linked to better performance on the number sequencing task. There was also another study in 2017 from the Archives of Sexual Behavior that examined how sexual activity was linked to performance on a common memory task in a sample of 78 heterosexual women between the ages of 18 and 29. So there's this tie from sexual frequency to memory, and um, it could be about blood flow. Um, I I did want to mention, too, something about blood flow. I'm probably a little all over the map here, but uh, in the last segment, the gentleman who called in, Frank, the Irish guy, um, who talked about his high blood sugar, and he talked about how it affected his mood and it affected his vision, but he didn't mention, and, you know, fair fair play to him, um, that it may have affected his um, sexual health. And so we, we do see men who have issues with blood sugar may have erectile dysfunction as well. Um, so we also had a study in um, that was in the archives of archives of sexual behavior, and there were 6,000 adults that were 50 years of age and over, and they explored how sexual frequency was associated with performance on two episodic memory tasks administered two years apart. Those who had sex more often had better performance on the memory test. And so memory is really important as we age and, of course, cognitive decline and dementia. Um, It is worth noting that the more emotional closeness you have during sex is is also tied to better memory performance as well. Um, what something I'd mentioned earlier, I just want to point out, it's important that memory performance declines for everyone over the course of the study and being sexually active did not prevent this decline. What this means is that, that even though sex is linked to a higher baseline for memory performance, it doesn't necessarily prevent cognitive decline in older age. We will all experience that at some point, some of us sooner than others, hopefully not you. Um, because if you are healthy, if you are exercising, you are eating a nutritious low glycemic index or low sugar diet, um, you are managing your stress, perhaps you are meditating, you're keeping your weight down, you're keeping your abdominal girth down, things will be looking up for you. I promise, happens all the time. And if you would like my all-in diet, I'm happy to send that to you. It's a high-protein, low glycemic index, low-carb diet that uh, will result in weight loss of 16 to 20 pounds a month. Do it under the direction of your of your doctor. But it's, a extreme, it's an extremely healthy nutrition plan that will make your refrigerator look beautiful because it will have all the colors of the gorgeous vegetables, and especially with spring coming. Um, you know, we'll be, we're looking at this pandemic for at least another year, maybe five. <laughs> um, I think we are in it for another year, so we're going to have to be, you know, preventing weight gain going to have to get into activities like gardening. Again, I had a little patch last year. Um, So you can go out there and get the broccoli and get the spinach and the kale and all the red peppers and 
tomatoes, grow whatever you like in your garden. And your garden will also grow because we know with relationships, you have to water your garden. Your garden needs a little bit of sun. You need to till the soil a little bit. Sometimes you benefit from the relationship. Sometimes things aren't growing as as much as they should or could. I did want to read an email that I got at the end of last week's show. Um, here it is. Here it is. I'll just say it's from Bobby. Um, hi, Maureen. Thank you for doing your show. I listen in from time to time as I like that it's not a singular focus and hopefully tonight will prove fruitful. Um, my wife and I have been married for 27 years and going. Yes, she puts up with my kind of crazy laugh out loud. Over the past several years, however, we have been struggling with physical intimacy to the point where we have only had sex one or two times a year at best. I did say many years ago that sex is, wasn't everything, but it is somewhat important and does play a part in our relationship. Recently, I have taken a different approach by conversing carefully through email. I seem to garner a better response from her when I talk to her through email about intimate health. For now, it's helping as there is no conflict. She has recently mentioned that intercourse is painful and no longer enjoyable. So when I heard your show tonight or last week on the vaginal dilators, I was paying attention. I was hoping that you could have some suggestions on how I may bring this information to the conversation without sounding pushy or invading some sense of space. Any advice would be welcome. Um, great question. You know, this is such a common issue. Women at menopause, perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, and I don't know how long, I don't know how old you are, um, but painful sex needs to be treated for a number of reasons. And so oftentimes painful sex is, is related to uh, vaginal dryness, especially if you've had a good sex life for 20 years or so, and then, you know, 25 years, and then all of a sudden it can happen gradually or it can happen overnight where you experience vaginal dryness. Sex becomes painful. You have low sexual desire. As some women have said, there's nothing in it for me. Uh, it can take longer to experience orgasms. But the reason that vaginal dryness needs to be treated, and you don't treat vaginal dryness with vaginal dilators. You treat vaginal dryness with hormone-free personal moisturizers like FEM, P-H-E-M-M-E, uh, or Gynotroph, or Repigyne. Those are the only ones that I recommend. Um, they, uh, or low-dose localized estrogen therapy, which is by prescription. Now, the vaginal dilators in the three-pronged approach that I was talking about last week is related to women who have vaginal atrophy. So things have really seriously dried up to the point that they're... And, and often we see that with reproductive cancers or somebody who's gone 25 years um, without any estrogen in the urogenital tract. It's called genitourinary syndrome of menopause. Really important to be treated um, because it will affect your sex life, but it will also affect urinary tract infections. So you may actually get recurrent urinary tract infections as a result of decreased estrogen in the urogenital tract. Regardless, a woman needs to be examined by a physician who is trained and understands uh, this particular condition and can actually treat this or a uh, nurse continence advisor or um, other healthcare specialists, midwives or uh, nurse practitioners. But it definitely needs to be treated whether you have sex or not because... For women over the age of 65, you can actually get recurrent urinary tract infections. You can get urosepsis, and I hate to say this, but you can die as a result. People will say to me, my mother died of a urinary tract infection, and they're so shocked because urinary tract infections in adolescence and early adulthood you know, are no big deal. But when women become of advancing age, they are a big deal. And so uh, they can also lead to confusion as well. Very, very important to get this treated because this will impact the intimacy in a relationship and, and sex is a biological need and a drive and it will actually cause conflict in the relationship and, and this gentleman Bobby sounds like a very patient guy and, and I don't meet too many patient guys to be quite honest with you especially around this subject even though a lot of women will say my husband is so patient even though we haven't had sex for five years I had a patient who has never had sex with her husband since she married him about five years ago. I think she married him. She's been with him like 23 years and she basically, I don't know, but she finally fessed up to me that she wasn't attracted to him. She loves him. She thinks he's amazing, but she's not physically attracted to him. But anyway, he was a port in a storm after a very abusive relationship. We marry for all kinds of reasons. Anyway, coming up next, what's the most important number besides mine? <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.